6th of January. That probably means, for most of us, the main celebrations of Christmas have gone. They're over. Our decorations went down yesterday. Are all your decorations down yet? Yeah, yeah. Even though we're saying Christmas is almost over or is over, I want us to look at one more aspect of Christmas today. After all, as you're probably all aware, it's Epiphany Sunday today. So we definitely need to be looking at one more aspect. And this is the word. It is. Epiphany. So in Greek, of course, because this is Greek, it means manifestation or appearance. And what we're celebrating, of course, is Jesus coming to earth. Jesus manifesting, manifesting himself to us. And we often celebrate, a lot of us, the wise men or the magi coming on this day to visit Jesus. Now, of course, it's 12 days since Christmas, but it wasn't 12 days after Jesus was born that magi came. It was probably more like two years later that the magi came to, uh, to see Jesus. And for a lot of people, they celebrate Christmas a lot. But some people in South American countries and in Spain, let us celebrate the Three Kings Day. Now, if Yvette wasn't here, I might have a stab at saying it in Spanish. But I'm not going to, because I'd, I'd look silly. <laughs> right, but Three Kings Day, it's a really good thing in South American countries that people celebrate. Just now, uh, Fiona is going to come and read the reading for us. From Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12 in the New Living Translation. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men or royal astrologers from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, or a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me, so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, 
they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Thank you. And so we know about the three wise men or the magi or the astrologers, but we also know that they weren't the first visitors to Jesus, Mary and Joseph. We've got the shepherds, of course. And the shepherds weren't thought of very highly, were they? They were stinking people, really. They weren't looked on very highly. But they had a really important job to do. They had to wander around and look after their sheep. Because I don't know much about sheep. I, do, I used to watch some programmes about sheep on television. But they wander around a lot. And so the shepherds would have to carefully sort of make sure they were okay and just bring them back into line with their crook or maybe they were a bit unhealthy, so they'd just bring them in and just sort of say, yeah, come on, they were caring for their sheep. Or they might sort of say, oh, Magnus has wandered off, because I'm sure they named them all, and Magnus seems a good name for, uh, well, it's the name that just come into my mind. It seems like a good name for a sheep. So they'd just sort of come along and say, come on, Magnus, come on in and get his leg or get his neck and bring them in. So the shepherds were there, and they'd visited and told everyone and people were amazed so even though the bible doesn't say it i bet there were quite a few other visitors as well to jesus and mary and joseph the kings had authority the kings had power I bet it wasn't an easy journey for them to make. There would have been barriers, obstacles, things in their way that wouldn't have made them easy to get there. Worshipping Christ was the end of their journey. But when they set out, they didn't know that. They just knew that there was a star that they had to follow. I'm following the star. But the thing was, the star was way in the sky and it rose and it was beautiful. And they'd have said to themselves, that's something we need to do. That's something that's really important. Now, about a month ago, I started working on this. I'll take this off. I started working on this talk and I thought, yeah, that's going to be great for very early in December. But then I realised, of course, that the three kings, we don't really celebrate until early January. So I just let the talk hibernate on the computer and just carried on pondering a little bit about it, wondering what was going to happen. And then last week, I had to use my self-control because I was sitting down on the chair. I was over there. And what happened was Phyllis prayed. And sometimes when people pray at the front, it really gets me going. I don't show it. But, oh, I was so excited, I want to jump up and say, yeah, brilliant. Because she used a phrase that maybe no one else noticed, but I did. That was the title of what I was going to say today. And I thought, wow, she wasn't meant to pray, it was going to be Jean. And yet Phyllis prayed and she used this phrase that made me really excited, even though I didn't show it. Because she said... As we stand on the cusp of a new year, we know that you have exciting things for us. 
Let us step forward with you and open our spirits and minds to whatever you have for us. On the cusp. I was just so overjoyed about it last week because I was thinking that is exactly what I want to talk about next week, today. We want to know that the Magi were on the cusp, but we're going to think about two other people that were on the cusp as well. But what a phrase. So thank you, Phyllis, for using that. It's not a phrase I very often use. And so I was thinking about it. And then when you said it last, last week, I was overjoyed. It was brilliant. As I was saying a few moments ago, the Magi had several barriers to overcome as they were wandering around. It was a long journey. And the decision they made was hard because they didn't know where their destination was going to be. It was a long way from Persia to Palestine. It would have taken them weeks and weeks and weeks of travelling. And like I say, they didn't really know where they were going to anyway. I've got four different barriers they might have thought about. You might think of some others. Maybe just as they were starting, they knew they were going to go, but there were other things that were important. That perhaps they were saying, well, we've seen this star rise in the east. It's something we should do. But my wife is telling me, my friend is telling me, someone is telling me that I need to stay here. I can't, I can't do that. It's too, I don't know where we're going. I'm just going to stay here because someone's telling me there's something important that I need to do here. And that made me think, oh, I wonder how many times in my life God has said something, has sent his star for me to find and follow, and yet I say to him, Lord, there's something else important that I need to be doing. I can't follow that. That's a barrier. I'm not going to cross that barrier today. I'm just going to do this other thing. What about travel? It wasn't just the three magi. There's a load of people with them because they're brilliant and, and strong people, but they needed an entourage with them. Every day, they'd have been setting up camp, taking camp down. Next day, setting up camp, taking camp down. I wonder how many supplies they took with them. I wonder how much water and food and bedding and how many tents they had. Probably dozens and dozens, because there was loads of them. They didn't know how far they were going. Any day, they could have turned back and said, no, this is a barrier that's not right. I see the star, but this barrier of travelling is getting me down. It's taking too long. I'm just going to go back home. It was easy back home. How about the unknown? They didn't know where they were going. There wasn't a fixed destination when they started. And again, that got me thinking, Lord, how many times do I want step-by-step instructions telling me what to do and how to go when all he says is, hold my hand and come with me? They didn't know where they were going, and yet they followed God and said, yeah, that's not going to be a barrier to me. How about the last one? Herod the despot. Nasty, horrid. What a horrible man he was. And yet, just like Fiona read, he was keen, so he said, huh, 
to worship the newborn king. If the Magi had believed him, what would have happened to Jesus? That was another barrier, wouldn't it? That he, he would have sent soldiers to go and kill Jesus straight away. As we know, he did kill a lot of children. But Herod, even though it was a barrier, they said no. God sent a dream and they knew that what they needed to do was to follow God. They were on the cusp, especially when they were going to see Herod, because I was looking up at the definition of cusp, and it's in between two states, in between two bits. So they're in one place, they're left behind, but they're on the cusp, but they're just about to get somewhere else. And Herod could have stopped them being on that cusp. They could have just said, no, the child is dead, ha, 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 in his evil way. But what he did was he was... God sorted it out and made sure the Magi got to Jesus and Herod didn't. I think if I was a wise man, I might feel a little bit like that. Just thinking, golly, what's this going on? All these different barriers, all these different hard things that are coming my way. And yet, maybe the wise men, the Magi, thought like that, but they overcome these barriers. And they got to Jesus. And they worshipped him. They brought him their three gifts. Now, it might be that if you've looked at the onwards uh, today, you'll see that there's a page on Nehemiah. And you might think, John, why have you done that? I know you plan things and some things are really obvious, but this isn't obvious at all. What was that about? Why have you put that down today for the issue that we've got? It's really simple. Nehemiah faced similar barriers that had to be overcome. Nehemiah wasn't in Jerusalem when God said, sort out the walls, sort out my name, sort out the law. He was 900 miles away. He was still in Babylon. Four months it would take for Nehemiah to get from where he was in exile to get to Jerusalem. So it's the same sort of thing. He did know where he was going, but what about the travelling? What about other important things that he might have had? So to me, Nehemiah is very much like the Magi. He was in one place, he was in Babylon. God said, do this. There's something happening in Jerusalem that I'm not glad about, I'm not happy about. Nehemiah could have said, for all these other reasons, can't do that, I'm not going to do it, it's too too hard, too, too far to go. And yet he said, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you ask of me. And once Nehemiah had got to uh, Jerusalem, the discouragement didn't end, did it? There was lots of opposition for the rebuilding of the walls. But he sorted it out with quite a few other people as well. He encouraged to do it. And of course, when he finished, he didn't just put his feet up and say, Oh, thank goodness that's over. That's all I needed to do. God asked me to do that, and that's all I'm going to do. Because he didn't just do that. He did something much more important. And he worshipped God. And he devoted his life to God again. And the Israelites devoted themselves to God again. And they said, thank you, Lord, for getting us through these barriers and these hard times. Lord, you are the one I'm following I'm going to follow you with all my heart. And so they followed God by saying yes. 
We devote ourselves to reading the law again and to doing what it says. They worship God despite all the barriers, just like the Magi had done. So, that's, I said there were three people that were on the cusp. The Magi, they were on the cusp. But they succeeded and they went through all the barriers and worshipped God at the end. Nehemiah, he was on the cusp. He had a long, long journey, but he went for it and he did what God said and he worshipped Jesus. Some well-known events have changed the lives of various people. It's quiz time! Great! Yay! Great! So, I've got some slides now for all of you to look at. And what I want you to do is especially look at whose life has changed. There's some people on these slides that you'll think, oh yeah, something happened to them, their lives have changed, and they're never going to be the same again. And maybe you might want to give me a quick date for all of these slides as well. Okay. It's history. It's brilliant. Okay, slide number one. Whose life changed? Shout it out. Yep, go for it. Kate Middleton, or Catherine Middleton. That's right. So this was Prince William, the Duke of Cambridge, and Kate Middleton that got married at Westminster Abbey on what year? 2011. Okay, next one. Whose lives changed? Diana and... Right, okay, so Prince Charles' lady, Diana Spencer, got married in St. In Paul's Cathedral in which year? 1981. There is two gold stars already for you later, Alex, well done. No gold stars for anybody else at the moment. What about Camilla? What year was that? 2005. Yeah, Ken Bruce would say many years out to you, I think. Okay, how about this? Who's this? Or at the time he was Prince Albert, Duke of York. I heard it exactly, but George VI was later. Whose life changed? Exactly. So Lady Elizabeth Bowes Lyon. And they got married at Westminster Abbey in which year? 1923. Okay. Her life changed. It did, didn't it? Okay. How about two more, nice and swiftly? Who's this? Prince George. Prince George, he was Duke of York at the time. And he married Princess Mary at the time, but Queen Mary we knew as. Uh, I'll tell you the dates, because you're all too young to know. 1893. Okay, one more. Who's this? Kind of. Prince Albert Edward, exactly. And who did he marry, Princess? Alexandra of Denmark. Yeah, do you remember? Yeah, she died in 1925, I think, so it's kind of not your time, not your era at all. But they married at George's Chapel in 1863. Now, what I want you to do, all of those women, they married future kings, although one of them, of course, they didn't know he was going to be a king. Can you imagine how the lady felt? The pomp, the ceremony, the music, all the soldiers around. And that was just the wedding day, the dress as well. What about going forwards for years and years, for decades? How did their life change because of marrying the king immensely? So all of these people, the ladies, they, their lives changed immensely because of what happened. 
Now, I've got something odd to say. You don't need to laugh, so you might want to laugh, but you don't need to. I've never been a bride yet. Don't laugh, because a day is coming. Lord, raise my expectation level, because I, and Dussel, and John, and Alex, and everyone, the day is coming. The third people to be on the cusp is all of us. We are on the cusp of being the bride of Christ. Now, this week, I read about two people in Northern Ireland who'd won, I think it was nearly £115 million. And one of the officials says, it made me laugh, their life has changed. (laughs) But I want to tell you really sincerely, our life has changed since becoming the bride of Christ. Much more than winning £115 million. Much more than that. We're on the cusp of being the bride of Christ. How does that make you feel? Yeah, I've already grown a foot in height just by saying it. How about you? How does that make you feel? Because we're on the cusp of being the bride of Christ. Jesus, the church. We're on the cusp of being the bride of Christ. And this is where Chris Cartwright's video comes in really handy. Because he's talking about things that remind us that we have to prepare to be the bride of Christ. We can't just say, yeah, that's it. Bride of Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Here we are. We are preparing. Now, it shocked me when I married Jill. Jill. Because apparently she had to prepare on the day to marry me. I think she's beautiful and wonderful and great and lovely. And yet Fiona went round and did a bit of preparation work, apparently. (laughs) Apparently. But the thing is, how are we preparing to be the bride of Christ? If we see a barrier like the Magi and the Nehemiah found, are we saying, too hard, can't do it? We're the bride of Christ. I've got a verse that I'm going to read in a few minutes. I only thought about it this morning as we were practicing in the music group. And it really, if I was not wearing socks, it would have, I would have had socks knocked off me anyway. But it was so exciting. But I'll come to that in a few minutes. So here's Chris Cartwright. And he was reading Galatians 5.25, which says, Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step by the Spirit. And he was saying there's three things. All began with an R. And he says, we need to be renewed, which is really opening ourselves up to God and saying, Jesus, you're my saviour. I want to follow you. Whatever the consequences, my heart is open. I'm going to follow you. We need to recommit ourselves, he was saying. Lord, whatever your plans and purposes are for me and for my family, I'm saying today, I'm going to go for it. I'm not just going to be passive and let it happen, maybe, or not let it happen. Lord, you've told me things. I'm going to follow you. It's important. I'm going to go for that. And then he said realignment. And that's when we're just in our normal day life, just saying, this isn't right. 
I'm the bride of Christ. I'm giving far too much time for X, Y, and Z when I should be doing A, B, and C. I'm realigning myself because I'm on the cusp of being the bride of Christ. And some of you might have heard of Ian Cole, who's the founder and director of the World Prayer Centre in Birmingham. And he gave three R words in his New Year message as well. He said we should be renewing, restoring and rebuilding at the start of 2019. So they're all action words. Here's another action word. Stoichio. And of course, this is the word that he's talking about being in step. To be in rows, to walk by rule, to walk in line in strict accordance to a particular pace or stride. If the Holy Spirit animates us to let us exhibit that control of the spirit in our life and figuratively to conform to virtue and piety. Probably most of you know that I'm really interested in military things. So I've been to sort of uh, troop another colour and other military things quite a few times. All marching along. Now I'm not going to get John to come and join me. It'd be an idea. But if we were going to march along, what would happen? Do you think we'd stay in touch with each other pretty well? Maybe, maybe all right. Maybe if we had Keith to join us, we're not going to let it happen. It's just rhetorical. If Keith was going to come along, and now it's Jean, me and Keith all marching along, he'd get us, he would get us into shape because he's got the knowledge and everything about marching and everything. But would we be really good at it? If we just did it like... Straight away. Oh, okay. What about, okay, I'm just building it up. Can you see? What about if we've got Jeff to come and join us? Or Paul, or Andre, or anyone else? What would it be? It's a big no. It'd be a disaster, darling, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be any good at all. Because we'd try and be in step, but we wouldn't. And yet, Chris, speaking from Galatians, says, keep in step with the Spirit. Hours, hours, days and days, they're practising. They're skillful because they've practised. This is the Amplified Bible. Here's that word again, stoichio. If we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, we must also walk by the Spirit with personal integrity, godly character and moral courage. Our conduct empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're not going to be like that unless we decide, yes, Lord, I want to keep in step with you. I want to practice through even hot obstacles that come my way this year. I'm going to practice keeping in step with you. I'm going to open my heart to what you're saying. I don't want to give up when things are hard. I know you're walking with me. I'm not on my own. You're helping me keeping in step because I'm trusting in you and listening to what you're saying. And that reminds me again of this quote that I've mentioned a few times now from John Wimber. It's all about keeping in step with the Spirit. It seems the more I think about not sinning, the more I sin. The more, but the more I think about just loving Jesus, the less I seem to sin. Falling in love seems to be the key. And that is definitely true in my life, I'm sure in yours as well. If we want to say, Lord, I want to stop doing this, because I'm not happy about it, or I want to spend less time doing that, you might succeed for a few days. But if we put our priority and our sort of uh, 
Focus, that's the word I'm looking for. If we put our focus on God, on, on the thing, on him, who we do want to see more and know more, and not the focus on the things that are getting in the way, it's surprising how the things that are getting in the way, the barriers, are going to go, little by little. Maybe hard, maybe some of the barriers will come back. But if we keep our focus on Jesus, who we want to love more, then that's going to be really good. There's an intensity about these people I really admire. Whitfield, John Wesley, Mother Teresa, Roderick Kenwood. Remember, he was the one who led the 1905 revival in Neneaton where hundreds and hundreds of people got saved. Corey Ten Boom, Evan Roberts, maybe all of these people you know. When you read about them, they have an intensity about them, don't they? They're saying, yes, I want to love Jesus more than anything. John Wesley had quite a few siblings, didn't he? And one of them was Charles Wesley. And he wrote more than 6,000 hymns. And on his deathbed, he dictated his last hymn to his wife. Here's one of the stanzas. In age and feebleness extreme, who shall a helpless worm redeem? Jesus, my only hope thou art. Strength of my failing flesh and heart. Oh, could I catch a smile from thee and drop into eternity? And that's a real challenge to me. Jesus, my only hope. I know sometimes I have other things in my life that take me away from loving Jesus more. Maybe you do too. But I want to be like Charles Wesley and some of these other people and maybe people you know have this intensity to want to know God more. No to self-reliance, self-importance and self-absorption. Yes to God fully being the priority in my life and my abandonment and your abandonment to him. Will we be great examples to others in the future? In 100 or 200 years' time, when people are reading Christian biographies from people who lived hundreds of years ago, are our lives going to be up amongst all of these, saying, yes, they're intensive, they're wanting to know God, they're wanting to follow God with all their hearts. We're starting a new chapter at NCF, aren't we? It's a brilliant thing. We're on the cusp. But it doesn't matter about Paul and I and Nick sort of leading. It wouldn't matter because we're on the cusp anyway. The whole church in the world is on the cusp of being the bride. We are the bride. We just need to live like it. But Paul has been very gracious to me because I've come up with lots of ideas over the last three years since I've had a bit of an input in the life of the church. And he's been gracious, because I've brought ideas to Paul, and often he said, yeah, go for it. He could have said, no, I don't think that's right. So Paul, thank you. You've been a real blessing to us as a church, and I know you're going to carry on being a real blessing to us as a church. Nothing is going to change with that. It's just a slightly different role. But Paul, you're a blessing to us, so thank you very much. Thank you for being gracious and loving and kind to us all. We appreciate that. Things might change. 
The pastor wants us to smile in church. You know how I hate to try new things. <laughs> and that might be some of the things we know we're going to ch- Things are going to change over the next few months and years. And God is gracious to us. Because some of the things that we'll do, it might be, ooh, hard. But as we together keep in step with the Spirit of God, listening to God together, whether it's God is saying, let's do a bit more smiling, or let's do this, or let's do that. So, as we keep in step with the Spirit of God together, so our hearts are going to be changed, and people out there, their lives are going to be changed as well. I enjoy receiving words of affirmation. It's what, one of the things that make me tick. If I've sort of done something well, I love it when people sort of text me or email me or just say, John, that was great. You did a good thing there. I don't get embarrassed. Not very often. I think I got embarrassed once last year. So if you think I've done something great, come and tell me. The same is true the other way. I want to tell you, I want to encourage you to do things for God. I want to encourage you. I want to say, Barbara, Jan, Jean, what great things you did the other week. It really stirred me on with God. And sometimes I might text you. And sometimes I might just see you in the street and just say, oh, that was great. It was lovely to see you. But I want to be an encourager to all of you. And if you want to encourage me, that's brilliant. I'd really enjoy it. Because as we affirm each other and love each other, then it's going to be exciting stuff. That's for certain. Now, I think a few minutes ago, I said there was this one verse. It's just come back to mind because I've just gone past that. So I'm going to read it out to you because it really struck me. It was Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 4. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. For love waved as a protecting and comforting banner over my head when I was near him. That's from the Amplified Bible. He brought me to his banqueting table. And we are singing a song based on that this morning in the music practice. And it's definitely from the Bible, Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 4. And it really struck me for the first time. He brought me to the banqueting table. Jesus doesn't say to us, his bride, see you there. Seven o'clock. He says, I'm going to come and pick you up. We're going to go in a big limousine together. All expenses spared. No expense spared. Anything you want. You're my bride. I love you. So Jesus says, I'm going to bring you to the banqueting table. Here's an empty chair. We've talked about empty chairs in the past. But here's an empty chair for that banqueting table. How amazing. Jesus is taking us by the hand and says, come and share in my banquet. Come and enjoy my presence, my gifts, my love. That's so exciting. In Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, chapter 6, we'll be praying about this in a little while. Because remember today, we're focusing on praying a lot, hopefully. And some of these things, hopefully I'm saying, is to inspire you and to encourage you to pray some more. But 2 Timothy 1.6, it says, fan into flame the gift that God's given. In the message it says, 
God doesn't want us to be shy with his gifts, but bold and loving and sensible. So the idea over the next few months is not to focus on the gifts, but on being his disciples. We want our attitudes to recognize and to remember that we're on the cusp of being his bride. Just as the wise men were on the cusp of going to see Jesus and worshiping him with their gifts. And Nehemiah was on the cusp of going to Jerusalem to sort out the walls and to get people to read the law again and recommit themselves to God. So we're on the cusp of being the bride. It's Epiphany Sunday. We're on the cusp. And God is encouraging me and all of you to live like we're on the cusp of Jesus coming again and us being his bride. So we're going to pray and then we're going to, just a short prayer, I'll pray and then we're going to pray together of different things. I've got a good list of things that we can pray about but it's all from the perspective of being the Lord's bride. And to me that's a really encouraging thing to think that we can say, thank you, Lord, you're with us and you love us. Phyllis said last week, as we stand on the cusp of a new year, we know that you have exciting things for us. Let us step forward with you and open our spirits and minds to whatever you have for us. So, Lord, in this new year, this new day, we say we want to walk in step with you we are definitely choosing to walk in step with you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we are your bride. Thank you, Lord, that you are taking us to the banqueting hall. You love us so much. Lord, in our lives, we receive that love. And thank you that we want to love you in return. Again, we make a definite, certain choice to say, well, our eyes are open to you, our hearts are open to you. Be glorified in our lives individually, Lord, and collectively as a group of people worshipping and living together. Lord, we ask all these things in your name. <coughs> Amen.